please grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. That's our final um, sermon in this series of a life of freedom. So Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 18. If you do not own a Bible and you'd love to have one, we've got free ones up the back. Go and grab them. Um, you can have it. It's our gift to you. We you know, we think it's great to have the Word of God, and so we'd love you to have that in your hands. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, and, and Pastor AJ is going to come and shortly open up for us. And as I read this, let's, yeah, let's be reminded, this is the Word of God. How wonderful it is that He has made Himself known to us. And so Galatians chapter 6, and I'm going to read it, reading from verse 1 through to 18. Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Church, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that for the next few minutes that you will speak to us, that as your spirit resides in us, that he will change us and renew us and transform us, so that as we leave this place, we can be light and salt of this world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been saying that today is week 10. It's actually been a couple of months that we've been digging into the book of Galatians. Um, and the letter, as we've said, is about the gospel. I, I was just talking to someone outside and we've said that it's actually quite repetitive for the last few weeks because all we've been talking about is the gospel. And the funny thing is that Paul is not writing to non-Christians to believe the gospel. It's not an evangelistic um, sermon. But he's writing to Christians already to remain in the gospel. And as we've been saying week after week as well, 
that this church somehow has a wrong understanding of the gospel, that they've been deceived to add to the gospel that they know. And so Paul explains in great detail after detail what the true gospel is. And this is why the book of Galatians is such a heavy letter. It's heavy with theology and doctrine. It dives deep into making sure that they have the right understanding and, and sound understanding of the gospel. And so in the last few weeks, we've been going as well in great details, the difference between grace and works, law and faith, living in the flesh and living in the spirit and all that. And in a way, we have been bombarded with a lot of information and doctrine. There's a lot of theory uh, happening for the last few weeks. But funny enough, at the very end of the letter, Paul starts to get very practical. He packs so much in just very few verses. Paul points out what a gospel-centered Christian and church really looks like. And so he starts talking about how they should treat one another, how, and he talks about how they should consider one another as Christians. Because right theology should always lead to right living. Uh, in our foundation course on Wednesdays, we've learned that orthodoxy, which is sound doctrine or, or straight doctrine, should lead to orthopraxy, which is sound living. Or put simply, uh, a good tree will bear good fruits, as we've learned from the kids' talk last week. That if we really grasp, if we really understand the gospel, then it should, live, which it should lead to a life worthy of living the gospel. And you know, in school, how do you know if a student is actually learning and listening in class, and they're, that they're getting the lesson? Well, you give them an exam, you give them a test. So at the end of all theory, here we are, you will get a test. And in the way, because the end of the Galatian is really a test for us all. And here's the test. How do you know that you actually understand the gospel? How do you know that, you, that the, the gospel is actually changing your lives? Well, here's the test. Paul gives us three things that you should look at to see if you really understand the gospel. He says that you should have these three things. One a gospel-centered community, two, a gospel-prompted humility, and thirdly, a gospel-rooted identity. He's saying that it should change us as a church, it should change us individually, and it should change your perspective of the world too, or how you see the world. And you need to get all three things right. There's a 100% passing mark on this. So let's begin. In verses 1 and 2, Paul basically says a church that truly understands the gospel will build one another up in the gospel. He's saying, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Firstly, take note that Paul is basically saying that even though you are a Christian, even though you are, you're a Christian, you're still going to face life burdens. And there's a chance that you will also be, get caught in sin. Now, this is important to note because if you are new to Christianity and you're wondering why your life is not working the way you want it to be, it's because being a Christian doesn't mean that you're immune from problems and temptations. Because a lot of, a lot of um, religious cults, might promise you that if you follow their beliefs, that your life problems are going to go away. 
your financial problem, your health problems, your relationship problems that will be resolved. And, and somehow, you ask, why do I still have these problems? And they might say that it's because you don't believe enough. But in Christianity, Jesus says, if you follow him, it's more likely that you will face more problems and difficulties, that you will be rejected and you will be persecuted and you will face more spiritual attacks. That Jesus doesn't promise to remove your problems. Instead, he promises to be with you, especially as you go through your problems. And one of the ways we sense the presence and the guidance of Jesus is through our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why Christianity is really rooted in community. That you cannot thrive in your Christian life without surrounding yourselves with other Christians. That you cannot do Christianity alone. And so right away, Paul mentions two things that we should be doing to each other. One is restoration from sin, and two, sharing each other's burden. So first, look at the importance of restoring someone caught in sin. So it doesn't say, it doesn't say if you catch someone sinning. It says someone who is caught in sin. Because to be caught in sin means someone is repeatedly doing it, that somehow there's a pattern that their sin has turned into a habit. It also means that they're possibly blinded by their sin, and they might not think what they're doing is wrong. Therefore, it's possible that some of you, some of us, might have something in our life right now that not, that's not in line with the gospel living, and we are totally oblivious to it. And you don't know that you're do, what you're doing is wrong, or you won't admit that it's wrong, and some of your Christian friends can see it clearly, but they're too afraid to say anything. And so Paul says that is not a gospel community. A gospel community is a loving community that cares about each other's spiritual health. Which means we are to have relationships in our church where we are able to speak the truth in each other's lives. We need to have relationships where we're able to confront one another if sin is taking hold of someone. That there should be a good sense of openness and vulnerability that we can invite people to know us deeply and correct us if needed. And see, that's the first test. Do you have people in the church whom you have given the right to confront you if they see that you are not walking in step with the Spirit? Do you have someone that you can trust here in the church who knows you really well and is able to correct you? Because a gospel-centered church knows what sin can do and the, da the damage it can do to a person. And see, for, for this to happen, what it takes to do this, there has to be such love and honesty and humility in our relationships that we are not just friends on a Sunday, but we're really into each other's lives. That our conversation go beyond news and Netflix but deep conversation about our Christian and spiritual walk. Because again, right now, there might be scenes in your life where you don't know about it, or scenes that, you, that doesn't bother you anymore, and there's, there's thinking it's nothing, that no one's, you know, it's not a big deal, and no one is correcting you because they're, they're either too scared to say anything or no one knows uh, what you're doing. Paul said that you need someone 
who can restore you. And the word restore there is a medical term used to mend a broken bone. Now, I've never broken a bone or dislocated a bone ever, but I think we can all agree that the restoration or the, the popping back of a bone in its place is just as painful as breaking it or dislocating it in the first place. It means confronting someone will be painful, it will be a hard conversation, and here Paul said to do it gently, meaning to speak the truth, to be honest, but to do it with love. It's not just pointing their sins and making them feel guilty, but being able to encourage them and, and allowing them to repent and to turn back. That's what it means. And Paul adds that it's not just the pastor's job to do this. He says, those who has the spirit, which means all Christians are mandated to restore one another. Now, secondly, the other way we live out a gospel-centered community is to carry each other's burden. So the first one is really a ministry of truth, but this one, to carry each other's burden, is really a ministry of tears. How do you carry someone's burden? It, it, if someone's being crushed by a heavy weight, what do you do? You go alongside them and you take some of that load on yourself, that you have to be right next to them. And so there's two main ways that we carry each other's burden. Firstly, we do it emotionally that we, we sympathize and we empathize to some. It, 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 these are some of the best ways we can really care for one another. Sympathy and empathy. The word understand comes from the word to stand under. To truly understand someone is to put yourself in their shoes and to stand under with that pressure with them. Therefore, the first thing or something, sometimes the best way to bear somebody's burden is to be able to listen and understand and feel their burden. And I, in a way, I notice uh, my wife is a counselor, and I joke with her that she gets paid to just sit there and listen to people's problems. But we know it's not easy. It's emotionally taxing. It's psychologically, it's mentally draining to be able to understand in people's pain, people's pain. Because I myself, I'm a, I'm a fixer-upper. That you tell me your problem, all I want to do is give you the solution and how you can fix it. And I often feel that there's no point about talking, the pro talking about the problem. It's better if we just get up now and fix it right now. So I had to learn something or most of the, that most of the time, all I need to do is just listen. To listen attentively. To, to sympathize with that person. Because it's such a great feeling, isn't it, when you talk to someone and you bear yourself to them and they know exactly what you're going through. That they understand the sickness that you're struggling with. They know and feel the relationship problems that, you have, that you're going through. And they might not fix the problem, but just to have someone with you understanding you is such a great relief. To know that somebody has been in your shoes is, is, is comforting. And this is why some of you, some of you here, will be the best person to come alongside someone because of your unique life experience. You might be the only person that has gone through the same problem or failures or challenges, and so you might be the only person that can actually sympathize with that other person. But you won't be able to do that if you don't get to know other people in the church. That we can't do that if we don't make the effort. 
Because I bet most of the time, if you ask people how they are, often they say they're good, they're okay. But often, deep inside, they might be trying to hide something, just trying to keep things together. And they don't have anyone that they can really share their emotional burden. But also, to carry each other's burden means that you have to take some of that weight practically. You have to suffer a little bit. It means to a degree that burden becomes yours. A good example, an obvious example, is, is uh, helping someone financially. To carry someone's financial burden means really giving sacrificially gener and generously uh, on our part. We might have to have less of something so that we are able to give to others. That if their burden is burdening you, then you know you're sharing the load. Right? Giving someone a lift means going out of your way, mowing someone's lawn, providing some food, babysitting their kids. All this requires sacrifice, our time, our energy, and our giving makes their burden a lot easier. And again, imagine an entire community that is able to really share and carry each other's burden. Imagine the confidence and the security that you can have if you're surrounded by people whom you know that truly loves you and cares for you. And then imagine the attraction that church can have in the world. That's a gospel-centered community. That's the first test. But this test is only possible if you pass the second test, which is gospel-prompted humility. And it's our, it's our personal and individual attitude. And so Paul says, in order to create such loving community, you need to have such humble individuals. Look at verses 3 to 5. That if anyone thinks there is something when they are not, they deceive, them, deceive, deceive themselves and each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Paul says, restore one another carry each other's burden. And the only way this is possible is through verses 3 to 5. That gospel humility enables you to love others that you're willing to stoop down to their level without comparing yourself. That without humility, you might help someone with their burden, but only to make yourself feel good. That's false humility. You might be helping them, but you're really just using them for your own benefit. The false humility is when you do ministry, but only so that deep inside you can feel that you are a somebody, that you, you do it to receive approval and affirmation from others. You do it to earn recognition from others. And it's, again, it's very easy in the church to be so active in ministry, and we've been saying this through, throughout the week, um, to be so active in ministry, but to do it out of self-righteous re reasons. And so in verses 25 to 26 in chapter 5, Paul starts by saying, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and then let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. That the first indication of being out of step with the Holy Spirit is conceit. It's arrogance. And a conceited or self-important person will provoke and envy others, meaning that they will look down on people because they feel important, which will be irritating for others, or at the same time, they might be jealous of those above them who's better than them because they want to be on top. So for a, for a conceited person, religion and ministry becomes a competition. It's about being better than others. 
And so even if you restore somebody who is sinning or carrying someone's burden, you do it because you feel good seeing that you are more spiritual than them. That there's a constant comparison happening. That a conceited person will say, look at how I obey the law. Look at how I, what I do in church. Look at the kids that I've raised. Now, there's nothing wrong about feeling good about our ministry, about doing good works, that we are to feel joy and satisfaction in our ministry. And that is why in verse 4, Paul says that you can take pride in your own work, but you don't have to compare yourself with, to others. In fact, he says to examine yourself. We are to examine our motives, to ask why we do what we do. And in verse 8, he tells us that a good indication of whether we are a Christian or not, is to figure out if we, if we are doing something for God or do we serve others for our own benefit. That the second test, this gospel-prompted humility, is our humility motivated by the gospel. Because, see, everybody is afraid of being a nobody. To a degree, we want to be a somebody. We want to be recognized. We want to be affirmed. We want to be valued. That we are created as social creatures to, to, to have and receive external affirmation. So what do we do? We make a somebody of ourselves. That a lot of people would say, you know, I don't care what people think. I only worry about what I think, right? A lot of influencers will say, you do you, believe in you, find yourself. But here's the problem with that philosophy. Firstly, do you understand how unstable and disappointing that is? Because what we want is always changing. Like if you ask a five-year-old what they want to be, they might say, I want to be a wiggle. Or I want to be bluey. And ask them again, when they're 15, what they want to be. And they might mention a celebrity. And ask them again, when they're 30, it will be someone or something else. It's really impossible to find ourselves because our self is always changing and it's so unstable. And often when we think we know what we want, something will come up and we're once again lost and unsure of who we are. And we're back to square one. And I do believe that one of the reasons that mental health challenges are on the rise because society is always telling us to find ourselves our culture is placing an immense pressure on us to discover ourselves, our identity. But deep inside, we are completely lost. We are never satisfied because we are in constant search. And it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50, identity crisis happens to all ages. But see, the other problem is, whether we admit it or not, we care what people think. We have to. Let, for example, if you join, if you join The Voice, right, what will help you progress to the next round? Well, only if the judges turn around and like what they hear. See, people's affirmation. If you join The Block, what will help you win? If judges like your decoration of the room. You can't say, I don't care what you think. I only care what I think. If, if you're an artist, how do you sell your artwork? If people like it, if they affirm that it's good. That our world is a world of external verification, whether we like it or not, what people think about us really matters. We cannot completely say all that matters is what I think, and that's enough. It doesn't work that way. That will lead to incredible loneliness and isolation. 
that we are constantly adjusting ourselves because we are trying to fit in and we're trying to be recognized and affirmed by others. And so we need other people to verify us. We need others to acknowledge who we are and what we do. And we are social creatures of our, and our psychology is built on this social exchange. So you cannot go about in this world thinking and saying that you don't care what people think about you. You have to care what people think about you. In your workplace, in your school, you need to care what others think about you to make friends. I mean, you can't even go to the RSL wearing what you want because there's a social standards everywhere we go, see? You have to care that even on social media, that there's so many people in Instagram or whatever saying, you do you, don't, don't care what other people think. And yet these are the very people concerned of how many followers they have, right? But see, Paul says, don't compare yourself to others. And in verse 12, he says, watch out for those who are trying to impress others by the means of the flesh. Because even in the church, even being religious, we can do something out of selfish ambition to get recognition and affirmation from other people. So how do we avoid false humility and conceit? We need to know where to boast. We, we need to know where to get this affirmation from. And that's our third point and our last point, a gospel-rooted identity. See, a Christian, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, is someone who can look at themselves and say, I am a nobody, I'm a sinner, I'm only saved by grace. Like I'm worth nothing, I'm no better than anyone else. That's humility. But you can't stop there because a Christian should be able to say, I am saved by grace, therefore I am accepted, I am deeply loved, I am deeply valued, and our affirmation we get it from God, that God loves me, and that I have this righteousness that Christ has covered me with. Therefore, I, I am important because even the Son of God died for me. That's our boasting. A Christian is someone who can see themselves simultaneously as a nobody, but also at the same time as a somebody that God affirms. And that's why in verse 14, Paul says, may I never bo boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What Paul is saying is this, that what really matters or really the only thing that counts is the cross. What the cross what's the cross saying? Well, one pastor in New York says this, here's, here's what the cross is about, that you are more sinful and wicked than you ever dare thought while at the same time, it's telling us that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope and believed. See that? The cross is saying that you need grace because you are so sinful. While at the same time, the cross says you are worth dying for and you are loved. The only way you can go out to the world and not depend on the world's verification, the only way you can create a healthy identity that won't disappoint you or lead to destruction is when you get your identity in God. And the only way to find that is through the cross. And so Paul says, I only boast in the cross, meaning that the cross is my security. The cross is my affirmation. The cross is my hope and my identity that even if the world is against me, that I feel discouraged and, and scared and confused, yet he can turn to the cross and he can find the assurance 
and hope that he needs. That's the last test. Where do you boast? In your work, in your own success? And can you pass that test? Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for speaking to us through the book of Galatians. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you for the conviction that you have, uh, that you have been showing us week after week. But now, Lord, we ask that as we uh, mull over, as we think about uh, this more and more, we ask that you will reveal to us our worth through the cross, that we will find our identity, our, our, our meaning in life, all through Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen.